Support for this episode comes from SAS. How is AI affecting how you learn, work, and socialize? And what do you need to know to make responsible use of it as a business leader, worker, and human in the world? Find out when you listen to Pondering AI, a podcast featuring candid conversations with experts from across the AI ecosystem. Pondering AI explores the impact and implications of AI, for better and for worse, with a diverse group of innovators, advocates, and data scientists. Check out Pondering AI wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. everyone from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is Master Plan 26 from Elon Musk. Yet another sequel, but with even fewer good ideas to save the Earth. I actually call it masturbating. Just kidding. This is On with Kara Swisher, and I'm Kara Swisher. Masturbating. All right. I'm Naima Raza, and he didn't have a good plan for investors, but he had a plan to save us all, Kara. It was literally plagiarized from Bill Gates' book from two years ago that we did a podcast with him on. Not literally plagiarized. Well, okay. Liberally borrowed from, allegedly. Liberally borrowed from. Yeah, heat pumps. You're kidding. Wow, we never thought about that. Thanks for telling us, Elon. Until Elon comes to save us, you and I are here. We're sitting at the Upfront Summit in LA. It's nice to see you in real life, Kara. Yes, You're even taller than I remembered. No, I'm still short. But big on stage. Big on stage. In just a little bit, you'll be big on stage with Mark Benioff, Mm -hmm. who you last interviewed, I guess, a little over a year ago at Code, right? Yeah. Fall 2021. Yeah. We talked about a lot of things, and things have changed rather significantly. Yeah. He pulled a Bob Iger. What a difference a year it makes. When you spoke to him last time, it was just off the heels of the Slack acquisition for a cool $27.7 billion. Too much. I think at the end of that year in 2021, this Salesforce stock price on the heels of that deal was about 300 bucks, And it's mm-hmm. now to about 185 as we're taping this. He was in a bit of distress with a lot of activist investors on his tail. And then he pulled out a quarter that was really spectacularly impressive. He's a very good CEO. There's been a recent rally, but he is under fire from the bottom up and the top down right now. He had to lay off 8,000 employees. Like a lot of tech companies, let's be fair. Like a lot of tech companies, you're right. And we had to stack rank the rest of what he called his big happy family of employees. And Probably more problematic for him. He has six activist investors breathing down his neck, including mm-hmm. the big dogs at Elliott Management. So what kind of mindset do you think he's walking in this interview with? Jolly. I would say he's been texting me <laughs> all this week, all these different <laughs> stories about him and doing well. Read us some text. What has he said? No, it's just he's just saying like, look, I did a good job this quarter. And I think he, I think he's trying to handle it and he- take it head on. That's a very classic mark is he's not hiding from it. He knows there's problems. And I think he wants to say, I've got it. I got this, Kara. And I've got 
about this world kind of thing. And so we're going to go over some of the problems, including the problematic acquisitions, the um, same thing that's going on at Disney, the heir apparent situation, which has gotten Mm -hmm. problematic. Um, And then what happens secularly to his business, which has issues. Corporate spending is pulled back, especially on stuff that he sells. I mean, he's obviously hoping to put the sharks at bay for a bit with this uh, fantastic Erling result. Do you think he has? I mean, yeah. Elliot has said that much work remains and that Salesforce needs a, quote, sustainable leadership plan, which sounds like a coup on the horizon. That is correct. So does Disney. So do a lot of people. It's not a coup. You're not going to coup Mark Benioff out of a job. He's uncoolable. Uh, it's tough. It's like, it's like, it's tough. It's tough. He lost a lot of his top brass, including the co-CEO, Brett Taylor. And according to the journal, Benioff didn't like how much time Brett had been spending on Twitter. Brett became the chairman of the Twitter board, you know, just before Elon took over. You know these people. I do not. So what do you tell me about these characters? It's hard to find an air. I like Brett Taylor, nice guy, but I'm sure he was uh, spending a lot of time on Twitter. That was occupying a lot of his time. And he did a great job for shareholders there. But he works for Salesforce, right? His day job is for Salesforce. So again, a very smart guy. Probably he had hoped that he would be taking over as CEO. Um, but, you know, these guys are, these these big, bigger-than-life CEOs are hard to replace. Um, this, these are the first-generation CEOs. And so it's always going to be a difficult issue. It's worked out well for Apple with Tim Cook, obviously, taking over Steve Jobs, or Satya Nadella taking over for Steve Ballmer, who took over for Bill Gates, but that was the same package. And so this is going to be a big shift for this company. And at some point, there's life after Mark uh, Benioff, and we'll see what he has to say about that. Well, I hope that you find out what really went down for them when you're on stage. But Benioff has been backing Elon's Twitter takeover a little bit. And he talked about the CEOs not be thinking if they should unleash their inner Elon. He's gotten some heat for that of late. There was a little more context, what he was saying. Yeah, there was more context of that. It's He's not unique in this. A lot of CEOs are saying Elon's had the, you know, gumption to go do what needs to be done if, as if it were your money, your business running it. And yet you and Mark have had a little back and forth that you disagree. We have. I texted him after he did the first time when he, um, when he praised Elon for something. And I said, were you aware of these three texts that he, that the uh, tweets he wrote and he was not aware. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that. Um, one was about Paul, uh, Pelosi uh, who's who? Uh, Mark is friends with them, with the Pelosi's, and I was like, "This is appalling!" And you can't, you can't separate the two right now at this moment. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should. I get what you're saying about visionariness, but honestly, this is not someone to admire at this moment in time. In mm-hmm. the way you're doing it, it's hard to pull apart. And we had a good. He's, you know, Mark's a thoughtful guy. I always enjoy talking to him. And he was what? He's like, I get it. Apologetic? or he yeah, was a... yeah, I would say apologetic. He's done that a number of times. We had a back and forth about calling uh, Lorraine Powell Jobs, Steve Jobs' widow, and only referencing her that way when she's done a ton of stuff. So we, I, I call him on a lot of stuff. And, um, and he's always open to hearing and learning. That's one of the things I do like about him compared to a lot of people. And he doesn't get all, he doesn't get in the lather about it. He just goes, okay, and he'll have a good debate. And so... I appreciate that. That's all you could ask for, someone to listen. All right, let's send you into the ring. But before we do, we should disclose that amongst the spending that Salesforce was doing in the pandemic, they sponsored videos for your other podcast, Pivot. They did. Yeah, they were an advertiser. And uh, we don't do it anymore. It's done. Yeah. Um, I'm not getting Matthew McConaughey money, but, you know, it was a good sum of money. I don't care. Yeah. He's not getting any softball questions from us. He's not. Not in any way whatsoever. All right. I'll see you on stage in a second.
This episode is brought to you by On Investing, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Each week, hosts Liz Ann Saunders, Schwab's Chief Investment Strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's Chief Fixed Income Strategist, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around equities, fixed income, the economy, and more. Join Kathy, Liz Ann, and their guests as they share insights on what might be moving the markets and why, as well as what indicators they are watching for signs of change. They'll also answer investor questions on everything from how sectors are evolving to what the bond markets are telling us, to where to look for opportunities and considerations for your portfolio. You can download the latest episode of On Investing and subscribe so you never miss an episode at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. Incorporating AI into your business can be a delicate balance between speed and intelligence. That's why you might want to consider the Claude 3 family models from Anthropic for your enterprise AI. Haiku is their light and fast model, Opus is their most powerful model capable of high order thinking, and Sonnet is the best combination of both speed and intelligence. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit Anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. It is on. What? Are you going to? Oh, God. What are you doing? Okay. Oh, God. They love to hug me, and I really don't like being hugged. Um, so, I like it better than most, but it's a low bar. Anyway, um, so we talked about a year ago, right? You did not have a voice. I did. You had var- uh, laryngitis, and so you brought in Stephanie Rule to be your surrogate voice. Yes, I did, and I still have that same cold since I. Oh wow! Yeah, having toddlers at an advanced. She was age. a lovely surrogate voice for well, you. Well, she's got a lot of voice. Anyway, let's start with you. Let's focus on you. And we, we one of my favorite topics. So yes. thank you for going so there. I'm going to let you. When I booked this, when I got Mark to come to this, things were not going so well for Mark Benioff at Salesforce. Oh, gosh. Is that why you called times. me? That's your I pleasure? I did. I thought, You're good. like, finally. Kick him when he's down. That was oh, my goal. I'm sorry to disappoint uh, you. But you since, I know you did this. I know. It's a bummer, isn't it? I know. It's okay. You I thought you had it. me, finally. I, oh, I still have you. Uh-oh. So let's let's begin and start with, this. I'm going to let you start. I'm giving you an, a softball here. Oh. This week's earnings report, Salesforce beat profit estimates. It's just yeah. stronger than expected forecast. And oh, announced yeah. An expansion of the share buyback. Yeah. Oh God! Oh, you have you have cards. You're okay. Already going there. All right, I am. That's the first thing. It's the news. Hello. All right. Okay. Take everything out. Get yourself all situated. Oh my God. Question. I don't know the answer to. All right. You got it all. I think help? so, but I don't know. Let me see. Okay. Ladies go. and gentlemen, the internet. Go all ahead. right. Go ahead. All right. All right. Well, uh, I mean, next year we're all going to be just like. Hey, chat GPT, what was the, what was no, the performance of the... We are Oh, not. yeah, we are. Okay, we'll talk Come about on. that. You know, I, I think you know we're going to be. Uh, AI is an issue for okay, you. Okay, let's talk so, about it. So, uh, expansion of the share buyback program. Yeah. Does that give you some breathing room with your 103 activist investors that are... Yeah, uh, are that's you? a good question. I, yeah. We had a great quarter. Yeah. We did um, 17% growth. Yeah. Um, we did 29.2% in our margins. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the year, Higher, we did it was supposed to be twenty-seven. I think correct. Well, that's for next year. We're going to do twenty-seven. We really were going to be about twenty-two, which is where we have been. And then we really kind of have we delivered four additional points for this year. We're doing four and a half additional points for next year, and then we delivered seven point one billion 
in uh, positive cash flow for the year, which is very healthy for a company our size. And uh, it was a great quarter. And then for next year, we'll do about $35 billion in revenue. And uh, we gave the punchline 27% margins right. and kind of, you know, we're heading towards this 30% number very fast. We think we're going to get there in fiscal year 25. So that's very exciting. So essentially you Bob Igered it, but what happened? So let's, what, what, what tell, did you, or like these actors? I Bob Igered it. It's a, it's a now I love a verb. Bob Iger, by the way. Okay, fine. But it's now a verb. I just made it one. Yeah. So you, you have did. these active investors. He had just one. You have many. Um, I think, I believe it's five. Is that correct? I, I am not sure exactly. I actually need a CRM system just to keep track of them all. Yes. Yes. Here they are. The, uh, besides I'll get to Vivek. Uh, oh, Ramaswamy, okay. Sorry. But, right. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll not get to him. We will. That's get to another him. one. I forgot. I wouldn't exactly call him a. He's no, a politician. I own more sales. He's running for president. Yes, I know that. That's I'm very yeah. excited about that. Yeah. Run. Are you voting um, for him? Uh, I wouldn't like <laughs> say hello to him. So no. <laughs> okay. So in 2021, no. let's All get right. to you in 2021. So you're staying with Trump, is what you're saying. <laughs> Well, you're staying with Elon, so they're here. All we right. Are. Well, anyway, um, you told me you. Hey, dub- I. You're the one who has the can photo you stop of him talking on the so Twitter I can page. Ask a question. All right. In 2021, you told Sorry. me double revenue of it, 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 in the next five years. Now, 2023, you want to revise that that projection for 2026? Or are you still on track? This what was, was in the our question? Last. In 2021, you told me you double revenue over the next five years. You did. Um. Whoa. I would just say. Um, oh, you mean last year? Yes. Where am I going to be five years from now? Yes. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to be five minutes from now. Okay. So, All right. All right. So, I mean, next, I can say that this year we just finished at 31.4 billion and next year we're going to do about 35 billion. And, you know, the economy is not where it was. No. And so I think when we look at, you know, here's what happened, I think, for a lot of tech companies, which I think is a story that is not really being really well told, but forget about our fiscal years for a second and just go to calendar years. In 2021, it was like the best year tech ever had. It was like incredible. It was the best buying environment. Our fourth quarter, you know, in that year, which is only exactly 12 months ago, was the best quarter we've ever had. And I think this was true for a lot of companies. It was. And everyone, us, all of our peers, were all surging employment to kind of get ready for another year like that because we thought that was a normalized buying environment. But then... We started to see some unusual macro issues. Currency has really started to change aggressively. Um, we saw inflation start to come up. The stock market basically imploded. And the the buying environment changed, and CEOs especially became more measured. And when that happened, that's when all of a sudden everybody had to start thinking about, well, we need a slightly different plan here. Right. And we're kind of looking like, oh, that was an that year was an anomaly. And then we're back into a new normal. So that is kind of what happened. So to kind of get through that year and deliver like we did, that was kind of an incredible moment. So what did you do to do that? Because you clearly had to show these investors, you had to sort of slap them around a little bit, presumably. It's not really about them, though they would like it to be. Right. I would say it's really about, um, you know, our customers, I think when you focus down on the customer success and probably the best metric in the quarter is that we hit a record low attrition in customer. And the reason why is when you focus on the customer success, which is really in concert with trust, our highest value, 
everything starts to really work for you. Mm-hmm. And that is what we did. We really doubled down, especially in our fourth quarter. We took 90-day uh, extreme focus on customer success, and we were able to deliver some phenomenal numbers. We did not think we would do $8.4 billion when we started the quarter. We thought we were going to do about eight. So you feel like you had no pressure that Activist Investor didn't sort of get you going, all of them? It's, it's, it's actually been a lot of fun, and I'll just tell you why. You know, I've been doing this 24 yeah, years. Yeah, Dan a laugh riot, but go ahead. He's a friend of mine, so been a longtime friend of mine. I think over here, running the business, you know, we understand how to run our business, make our customers successful, innovate. You know, this is, this is what we do for a living. Now, some of these investors show up. I'm like, oh, let's get to know them. I like to just talk to people, so I'll talk to them. Now, you have a wide variety of folks in this category, and they have a wide variety of expertise, especially when it comes to our industry, which is highly specialized. So while some of them add a lot of value, some of them don't. Some of them have great ideas, some of them don't. So I just enjoyed really getting to know them. One person in particular who I've known for a while and then his founder, I don't know if you know Jeff Ubbin, is a San Francisco person. Mm-hmm, I do. Very close with a friend of mine, uh, Lars Ulrich, who's the head of Metallica. It's another San Francisco person. And uh, his new CEO of Value Act is Mason Morfitt, who was on the yes. board of Microsoft for five years. Yep. And when I met with Mason, it was pretty awesome because he's like, hey, Let's like he was at Dreamforce. He spent time with yeah, our you customers. Yeah, just appointed him to the board. And then, yeah, and the reason why is he came in and he said, "I what about this for the distribution strategy? What about this for pricing? What about this for bundling?" So you found him helpful. And, oh, beyond helpful. And I think the board is like, "Wow, this is amazing. We'd love to have you as part of the board." And I think that was a really great moment because um, I mean, we're leveraging one of the great moments in Microsoft's history when they really were able to kind of go through this incredible surge. And he was there and um, I spent a lot sure of time Steve with Bomber them, but I wasn't. That. I remember Steve Ballmer's reaction was not yours right now. He was. I think it was that fucker, but he, go ahead. <laughs> he was really actually already out before Mason came in. That was really John Thompson really exited him. And uh, I was spending a lot of time at Microsoft at that time. So I was watching the transformation and very impressed. But I think Mason so you coming find in was valuable. very, oh, so, yeah. So one mm-hmm. of the things was the opportunity that they took was your stock price is up since the start of the year, but still down 11% for where it was last March. Um, along with the layoffs, we'll get to those and the departures. When you had that stock price doing that, which was below some of your uh, competitors and rivals, were you worried about this, this idea that you're vulnerable? It's such a good question. You know, it was an atypical moment in the market. And uh, they, you know, smart investors, not just these guys, because really our long investors are really amazing. I've been talking to them today, of course, because we did our earnings yesterday. So when I talk to incredible investors who actually own a lot of stock, Mm -hmm. these guys actually, all those activist investors combined own less stock than I do. So the people who really have significant positions in the company are like the big companies like Fidelity and Vanguard and and T Rowe. And by the way, these have been our partners all the way along. And I think that, you know, they'll they'll say to me, 
hey, you need to pay attention to us. We've been in business and we have we've actually held Salesforce stock longer than they've even been in business. Right. So that's where I really stock, have focus on the long the investors. Up, the, big... the long investors really are but they part also and parcel want the stocks partners. to go up, right? This Absolutely. Was an opportunity. So do I. Talk about um, <laughs> Elliott, which was one of them. Um, they reportedly made a multi-billion dollar investment. This week, they reportedly nominated a slate of directors. Um, do you like their picks? And after the earnings report, which again was impressive, they said, quote, much work remains. How are you getting along with them? I really have not spent that much time with them, honestly. So it's really handled by my... Um, so you're not of, hanging with him the way you, you are Mason Moffat, for example. Yeah, I mean... I'm sure they're a fine firm, but we had just, I have not, I'm not doing anything. I just have not had that much experience with them. So I can't, I don't really know. What were you surprised when they say that? Because they're known for, you know, shoving operational improvements down the throats of CEOs. I think that everyone has great ideas and I'm happy to learn from everyone. Right. So what, well, could they control? Including you, Kara. Oh, you don't listen to me. You never listen to me. Oh, Uh, I do. You know, I love you. Sometimes you sort of slough me off in text, but that's okay. I don't care. Um, how, that has have, not been for quite a few years. That is and I true. apologize That's for that. That's okay. How far are they from controlling the board and what protections are in place in that regard? Well, we have an incredible board. Many of the board members, you know, mm-hmm. you know, we just added three amazing board members. Talked about Mason. We added mm-hmm. Sashin, who is the CFO of MasterCard, is incredible. And we added Arnold Donald, who's probably one of the great CEOs of all time, a Fortune 100 CEO, Carnival. Um, Unfortunately, two board members are leaving after 20 years. Sandy Robertson, who you know very well, probably godfather of Silicon Valley, has been like by my side from the beginning. Alan Hassenfall, the former CEO of Hasbro. And then we have incredible people. Uh, John Roos, who you know, the C- was the CEO of Wilson Zancini and then became the ambassador to Japan. Uh, Neely Cruz, you know, is the vice president of the European Commission. Um, Robin Washington was the chief financial officer at Gilead and was the controller at PeopleSoft, the former CEO of PeopleSoft. Craig so you Conway. feel you have a board that you have control. I don't of. think there's a better board in that you don't feel not the just in technology from an Elliot. Now I'm making a different slate. Do you have you looked at their choices? I really don't know. Honestly, mm-hmm. I would tell you exactly. I really have no idea. All right, let's go down from there to Vivek Ramaswamy, who's running for president. He invested through Thrive. This is an activist noted for his anti wokeness. It's a quarter of his presidential bid. Um, so you're, you know, you've rejected his vice president uh, I did, partnership. Indeed, Was that yeah, it? especially when he okay, like, I see. thought gay and lesbian people should be reformed. So I All thought right. that, was that didn't go with, well over with you. It did not, I would uh-huh. have to say. And how did you feel about that? I felt badly. Okay. Not really, but you know, whatever. Um, I know some are saying his quote, ridiculously puny stake, which I agree. Um, is, is that gonna, was Sonnenfeld's is, comment. Is he right? going to get you less woke? What is he attacks you personally? You and I have talked about this. What do you make of this? political. It's a political motion. You know, I see that uh, a lot because we are a big company. We do have 70,000 people. We are one of the three largest software companies now in the world, Microsoft, Mm -hmm. Oracle, Salesforce. And um, we see a lot of uh, political shenanigans. And we, whether it's a politician who's running for president who buys a share of stock, or it is, could be a governor of a state, or we've been through these, you know, it could be all kinds of folks, not just here, it could be all over the world, and they'll try to use or manipulate. And the worst part is when they want to discriminate against our employees. And I think that this is what is the saddest part. And you and I have talked about the story, but just to bring everyone up to speed, you know, it really started in Indiana. That is what yes. really got us going. And in Indiana, 
there was a governor who we all know, Mike Pence, who was a friend of mine, and I was working with him because we're the largest employer in Indiana, tech employer, um, and very successful operation there. Great people, Indianapolis, great city. Uh, we have Salesforce Tower, Indianapolis, and um, my employees started saying to me, "Mark, you've got a big problem on your hands." I'm like, "What problem do I have?" Well, the governor is going to sign a law that is going to discriminate against the LGBTQ community. And I'm like, explain that to me. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. I'm like, it's not possible. No one would ever sign such a law. Now, I'm a fourth generation San Franciscan, born and raised in the city. You know, this is the home of gay rights, the gold rush. Everybody knows San Francisco. In my mind, it's not possible. So then they call me again. You need to send them a letter now. I am not going to, why would I send him a letter? What do you got? What, why are you getting me involved in this? No, you need to send him a letter. I'm like, fine. If it's important, you will send him a letter. Then they call me back. You need to send him a second letter. What? You can't believe this is still happening. Right. It's still happening. Okay. He signs the law. I could not believe it. Right. I was in a car, an Uber, <laughs> on the way from the Rosewood Hotel mm -hmm. in Palo Alto. Very nice, swanky thing. Yeah. On my way home, back down 280 to San Francisco. Maybe I had had a couple of glasses of wine, okay? It was a nice night, and I'm reading on my phone that this he has happened. yes. And I just go to Twitter, and I said, well, if he is going to discriminate against our employees, then we are going to de-invest in the state of Indiana because we can't send our employees and our customers right. to a state where they're discriminating against the LGBTQ population. I went to sleep that night. Fine. Everything was fine. I wake up in the morning. It's 8 o'clock. I turn on the television. My tweet is on the TV. I'm like, I'm watching CNN. Is this a bad dream? Is it a nightmare? What is happening? This can't be true. Right. But it was. It was right on the television. And I was like, well, I hope I spelled everything correctly. Yeah. And you're committed. <laughs> <laughs> and then a number of my friends in tech were on at that point. And then I realized my phone was filled with voicemails. Yeah. And then what was, was amazing was over the next 24 hours, over 200 CEOs of companies all over the country all said that they were going to do the same thing. Same thing. Okay. And so drunk and Mike, tweeting. And Mike Pence called me. Yeah. And he's like, Mark, how are you? I'm like, Mike, how are you doing? It's great. Great to talk to you. And he said... Listen, what's going to happen next? I'm like, I don't know, Mike. I guess we're going to have to have rolling economic sanctions against the state of Indiana. Right. He's like, what does that mean? I'm like, I don't know. I just made it up. Right. <laughs> He's uh, laughing. I'm laughing. I'm like, Mike, listen, I'll just, why don't I just put a couple attorneys on an airplane? We'll come out here. We'll negotiate this. This will all be resolved. And that is what we did. And we worked it out. And that's the way it should be done. Well, you know, and, 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 and having that kind of dialogue, and um, and we were able to to reduce that. Now, it wasn't the end of the end. Certainly not. It was That's the right. end of the beginning. Right, right. And that was um, what, how it kind of started. And then we've seen there's other moments. So you get dragged into this. I mean, beyond incredible naivete that they, he wouldn't have signed this. I'm just telling you, of course, he would have. And you're drunk tweeting. It makes a fascinating story. But what? how do you feel when you get pressured that way in terms of being the woke CEO? Do you feel nervous about it? I know you're I don't nervous feel about like going I am a woke Trump. CEO. It's kind of funny. Right. I just feel like I've got my employees back. Right. 
That's all I feel in my heart. All I want to know is that my employees, who, whoever they are, whatever their sexual orientation is, their race, their gender, their religion, that they know that we want them just to have a great work experience and we'll have their back. And if someone is coming after them, like in that case, we're going to step in and and do what we can. We can't do it in all situations. You know that. But we'll do our best. And I think that we have. And then it was a moment in business. And I think that it, you know, uh, it was scary for me because I have, it's not like you take a class in business school at USC a couple blocks away from here where I went in 1986 on this kind of, uh, let's hear it for USC, right? Right. Yes, half the school is here. Congratulations. Fight on. But the thing is, is that, you know, there's no class there. Maybe there is now. Right. But there's no class on on how to handle, you know. Vivek Ramaswamy. or, Or gender equality. Right. There's no class on, you know, how does business handle environmental? All the things that are important today to our employees, this is new. And I think you have to kind of dive in. All You're right. going to try things. There's going to be mistakes. But you go, you go, you keep going. That's all you can do. All right. Speaking of which, it leads us into these layoffs. You know, one of the things you used is the word ohana for mm-hmm. uh, family yes. a lot, which sometimes I'm it's like... It's the family oh, word of... It's a fam- I know what it means, but oh, I just lately make, it's felt uh, a little more like the Soprano family at your yeah, company. Yeah, all right. Um, you announced... You keep uh, getting me out. Now you I'm keep pulling sorry. me back in. Uh, okay, right. <laughs> right. No, that's Darren Godfather. Darren is going to cast me in his that's new Godfather. movie. Godfather. Yeah, get okay, your, I know. Get well, your, Godfather's get whatever your murderous, All right, sorry. Murderous mobsters, correct. All right, But thanks. nonetheless, you're laying off about 8,000 workers, like a lot of yeah. tech companies. Again, far cry from the pandemic years when you hired... 30,000 is yes that's true 8,000 enough to get you through well I really think it's uh like I said um you know when we started this when we started like you just said when the pandemic started call it January of 2020 here we are now in March of 23 between 2020 and March of 23 we went from 50,000 employees to 80,000 and now we've reduced just like you said by 10 percent and I think that that's the story for every large tech company. Right. Um, I think anyone who's telling you that they're not doing that, then they probably were not doing that well during the pandemic because they weren't really riding that buying motion. Well, Apple hasn't, but go ahead to seal me one. Yeah, I really think for the large companies in our area, it's all it's consistently it's, true. So is it enough? Is it enough? Well, I think from you can see by the numbers, we've had a great result. Yeah. And I think that we're going to, I feel good about our trajectory. The, the key is, is that this is not my first recession. Um, I went through 0102. That was extremely difficult. We also had to have an employment action. We went through 0809. We had the same situation. And now here we are today. And I think that when you, you know, over 24 years, it's not the same company. It's the company has transformed, it's changed, it's evolved, it's grown, it's done all these things. But what happens is, is that as the company matures and grows, you have to constantly reshape. We have today, we don't have one product like we had in 2000. Sure. We have 75 products and we have uh, a you know, constant need to, uh, to recalibrate the company. So right, I think it's but, extremely but important. Some of your employees were upset. They point out, you said Salesforce was a family. You use yeah, that term quite a lot. Sure, it is. Um, it, it, did you think you did a good job of handling the cuts? And what could you have done better? 
I prefer Microsoft strategy. I really looked at it. You know, they had a layoff that night. They uh, did had staying at a party in Davos, and that was one way to handle it. I think the other way is that I'm a lead. lead I'm a lead from the front person. You know that. Yeah. So I'm not afraid to get on an all hands call for two hours, and it was tough. You know, because you're having to explain the unexplainable. And yep. yes, exactly what you said. It's we don't have lifetime employment. And it's sad because we do feel like these are family members and we're working to place them into our ecosystem and take care of them. A lot of them will hire back, but it's not easy. You know, there's no rule book here and there's different ways to handle it. I could just have not said anything. That's much easier. But I don't think that that's the right thing to do. I think the right thing to do is to actually take the bullets. Is there one thing you could have done better? Um, I really think that, you know, you have to be willing to get, you have to be willing to take the cuts. Over 24 years, I have a lot of cuts. They could be difficult situations just like this. That's how you end up with a thick skin. And I think that it's just a hard situation. In business, there's hard situations, and that's one of them. And it's just difficult. But still, we're working with people every day to make sure that they land well. All right. And what other costs you're cutting? You got heat for that $10 million contract with Matthew McConaughey. But what other costs do you need to cut? Well, I really am executing a four-point plan. And the first point is short-term and long-term restructuring. So, you know, I think that I'm looking at the whole company and saying, we've been through 24 years of growth. What are the things that we can do structurally to really address our cost structure? Yes, we've delivered great profits. Yes, we have great margins. We delivered 29.2% margin in the quarter, but the company for sure has more long-term restructuring to do. Just looking at it, all the acquisitions we've done. Mark Sester runs the conference. He was like our first acquisition we did when we bought Coral. Yeah. You know, and you'd look at we've done about 60 acquisitions to kind of shape our vision of what customer 360 was. He was a critical part, actually, of that way back in the, you know, the beginning. And I think based on that, you can say we're going to have short term and long term restructuring. We also, you know, when you go through the pandemic, we definitely are seeing that we still have things we need to do in productivity and performance improvements. Yeah, you talk, I'm going to ask about that. For sure, it's important. And number three is, as I said, we have 75 products, but the world in our tech industry is changing rapidly, as mm-hmm. you know, and the prioritization of those products is really changing. And um, putting certain products first will let us invest in the right areas. And the fourth thing is we have to improve our relationships with our shareholders. It's incredibly important right now because of what happened last year, we have to be much more diligent in how we're communicating with them, much more clear, much more specific. So like this morning when I woke up at 8.30, I'm on the phone you know, with our, with our top investors explaining exactly how the quarter is, not just letting them read about it sure. you know, in Going the newspaper. What about selling off any of the many companies you've acquired? You were you're an acquisition fiend in lots of ways. Um, you said you disbanded the M&A group. Do you feel like that's done? That's the growth through that is over for Salesforce? Well, there's two different things there. I think one thing is, no, I think that we have some great assets um, you know, we took one, well, Exact Target, which was a major company we brought, which is how we became the largest tech employer in Indiana. Mm-hmm. When we bought it, it was doing about $300 million in revenue. It'll do about $3 billion. Um, we look at MuleSoft, again, the same thing. It went from a couple hundred million to a couple billion. Also, uh, Tableau, sub-billion, you know, a couple billion. And then 
um, Slack, which is exciting. We're again, we bought it sub billion, and we're looking at it being a multi billion dollar product. And I think these are jewels. And I think that the key is we've been able to weave them together, some at different rates than others. But our long term vision is very clear that we're building a platform that lets our customers connect with their customers but in not a whole new on way. On a buying spree, you don't see. Salesforce being on that same kind of buying spree. I think we some have people criticize the Slack acquisition. Yeah, I think that example. we have enough right now. And we're, I mean, I think that's a great product, honestly. I just love it. it I use it product. constantly during the day. I don't know how many people here are on Slack. Raise your hands. Okay, enough said. Yeah. So it's like 60 or 70% right. of the audience just raised so their you, hands. Do you push back on those investors who say it was overpriced and you shouldn't have bought it, for example? That's not a conversation with our investors. None. I think when they see these numbers, there was no conversation like that. So, I would tell you if there was, by the way. I'd yeah. be, but I have not had a conversation with any investor like that um, ever, actually. Okay. So I feel very good about that. I, journalists actually asked the question because I think that they actually love Slack. Like most of the journalists, like at time, we are on Slack. A yeah. lot of the media companies are on Slack. I would say love is Slack. a strong word for that. I would yes, say love is like a good it, word, certainly. accurate. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. It doesn't suck is how Walt Mossberg would I have to say it's great it. and I like the sounds yes. and the whole okay. thing has been okay. a very right. good product. Okay. Let's move on. In 2021, you told me CEOs at other Fortune 100 companies were angry at you for saying publicly that we're not going back to the office. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel validated? Have you <coughs> changed your point of view? Well, after hearing that cough, I don't know. I should be worried maybe. I would say... <laughs> I'm well. Thank you for asking. I don't know. That's a big term, well... A- Toddlers everywhere. Go ahead. I'm not okay. No, I mean, you know, we just send them over to your house. Hey, it was my first pandemic. What All can right. I say? Okay. Yeah. You know, I think that we are in a post-pandemic re- reality. Yeah. And because we're now in a post-pandemic reality, we have a much more clear sight over the last three years. And I'm sure everyone here who went through this, we all went through this together mm-hmm. as one humanity, you know, would say, well, you know, next time we have a pandemic, how about this, this, and this instead? Right. But we learned. So I think that when we look at business today, for our new employees who are coming in, we know empirically that they do better if they're in the office meeting people, being onboarded, being trained. And if they are at home and not going through that process, we don't think they're as successful. So now you're shifted. In December, you sent a Slack message saying that workers hired during the pandemic weren't as productive. Um, this is the most homework you have ever done for any interview that we have done. Usually just shooting from the hip, like randomly. I have some shooting from this the hip. This is really coming. impressive. Thank you. Like you thank have you. a thank staff you. person who's helped you. It's yes, like, thank you. Thank yeah, you. I, mean, I, I can't believe it. You've right, gone to let's... another level of excellence. It's impressive. Well, thank you. I appreciate the compliment. Okay. Well, you're just usually not that organized, but uh, it's okay. a good. Right. Are you bringing back people to your big ass, giant ass, idiotic building in San Francisco? Boom. <laughs> that is the kind of thing you get away from the cards and you'll be much yes, better. It's right here. Giant ass building. I typed it myself. So we have a lot of those. We yeah. have a great, gorgeous New York one and a gore- we have a brand new one coming to Chicago and Sydney. We have London, Tokyo, right on the Imperial Palace grounds, whole thing. All right. And the thing is about that is that I think that we have two kinds of people. This is how I think about it. We have people who are remote. And if your manager agrees that you're remote. Now, by the way, 20% of all of our employees from day one have always been remote. That is, they are at-home workers. Mm -hmm. That's going to increase. It's going to increase dramatically. Okay. How many of you work at home? Raise your hands. How many of you work in the office? Raise your hands. I think that this is kind of the world we're moving into. We're going to have remote. 
and we're going to have return. And then for return, it's going to be different by, in, by in, like engineering, we've said, only comes in 10 days a quarter. For GNA, if you're not classified as remote, then we'd like you to be in three days a week, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's, and then if you're sales and marketing, we really expect you to either A, be with a customer, because that's what we prefer, for you to go out and be with the customer in their office. Sure. And, and uh, if not, we're going to want you to be in the office. And that's more of a four-day uh, a week uh, executive. Other and, countries, they're much higher rates, 70, 80% back in the office. Do you think the U.S. will do that? Do you see forcing people back into the office? I don't critical? really want to force. Productive. I don't really want to force anybody. I don't think that that. I think you got two things. You got mandates and reasons. Mm -hmm. I think if you do a mandate like what you just said, are you going to force them back into the office? You're going to be in a bad situation with attrition. Yeah. And I don't think that's and you know we don't want to lose our stars. So we don't want mandates. Uh, we want reasons. We want to show them. Here's their five reasons why we think you should be back in the office. And they're like, you know what? I moved to Timbuktu and I just want to be classified and remote. I'm like, great. I totally resonate with that. Let's go. You can be remote. So I think this is the right way for us to think about it. Probably every company thinks about it differently. You know, if we talk to some of the big banks in yeah. New York, they have a whole different they do. perspective. Some tech companies are going to say they're going to be 100% remote forever. I think that that may work for some companies, but I think for, and, and by the way, it's worked for some great companies like, you know, WordPress, they're like been 100%. Sure, they've been forever. Yeah, yeah, we own a significant part of that company. And I've been very inspired with Matt and how he runs his company virtually. But I think that for us, I can speak for us, our folks are going to be better, especially the new folks, people who really need to get, learn. To be in the office. What yeah, about your commitment to places like San Francisco mm -hmm. where you need people yeah. in the office? Is that still important to you? Mm. It's it's really more important, I think, to them. I don't think this is about me. I think it's more about, I want the best for them. I want the them employees. to be successful. Yeah. I want them to be successful. I want them to learn the products, make money, enjoy the environment, enjoy the culture. You know, it's not just a big building. It's pretty gorgeous inside. You've been there and it's it's stunning. I have issues with your building, but go ahead. All right. Well, I'd love view. to hear about this. I always this, but... love, I have a beautiful view and I always looking at, and there's the <laughs> penis. There it is. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I didn't build the building, so I apologize on behalf of Boston it. Properties. <laughs> I apologize. Honestly, I, I hate your building, but go ahead. I asked the whole world to forgive me and I will forgive the world. Okay. All right. Okay. So you, so it could be a mixed thing is what you're saying. You think you're validated in saying this is going to change rather drastically. I know a lot of you yes. are out front of I've that. Informed, we, we've written our business plan for fiscal year 24, which we started February 1, and it's called V2 Mom, you know, our V2 Mom process. And we are collaborating, I'm collaborating directly with our employees on Slack. And there are employees who are very passionate about being at home. And my message to them is just ask your manager to yeah, classify to you as remote. It and it's so totally you want to make great. a big deal out of like it. Like we have one person in particular that I've gone back and forth with her maybe a dozen times. And she's like, oh, no, this, I'm like, and what I said to her, what's right for you may not be right for all 70,000 folks. And I think that it's not right for what she's saying, which is she just wants the company to be 100% remote. I think that the right thing to do is that different classifications of folks should have different approaches. And if her manager says that it's fine that she's remote, well, in my opinion, she should be remote. She's a, she's doing a, a, a task that I think can be done great in the, at home. 
fine. But in some cases, folks right. should be in the office. Support for On with Kara Sushir comes from Babbel. Our phones have gotten pretty good at translating speech on the fly. If you're traveling to a new country and you'd like to order a chicken sandwich with pickles, an app will probably see you through. But what if you want to chat with your server about the neighborhood or other dishes on the menu or your love of pickles? Real conversations with real people don't lend themselves to translation apps. Genuine connection requires a genuine grasp of the language, and that's something Babbel can offer. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with lessons created by real people for real conversations. Babbel doesn't rely on artificial intelligence to build its 10-minute lessons. Instead, they're handcrafted by more than 200 language experts focused on teaching phrases and vocabulary you'll actually need to communicate. I really like it. I'm using Babbel, and I've been able to use it here in Argentina where I'm visiting my son, Louis. It's a really efficient way to learn a language. I do them very quick. It's 10 minutes. It's very user-friendly. Lots of pictures. I was never good at languages, and I'm really enjoying using the Babbel app. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash swisher. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash swisher, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash swisher. And you know how to spell that. Rules and restrictions may apply. Support for this show comes from the Harvard Business Review. I made a career out of taking to task some of the tech industry's biggest players. And honestly, some of these guys, and they're all guys, really had no clue what they were doing, and they could probably have benefited from some of the resources available at Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is a top source for smart management thinkers. Cultivated by some of the greatest minds in business, the Harvard Business Review is a trove of rigorous insight and best practices. It's more than just the flagship magazine, too. You can find the same level of expertise on hbr.org, and for just $10 a month, a subscription unlocks unlimited access to a variety of resources like hundreds of articles, podcasts, newsletters, case studies, and so much more. I use HBR all the time to look up all kinds of cases, and not just in tech, and also listen to their podcasts, I look at their newsletters, and I really, 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 most of all, like the articles, which have a different perspective that I might have to give me ideas. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code CARA right now to get 10% off your subscription. Again, to save 10% off your HBR subscription, go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code CARA. All right. Uh, speaking of not in the office, Brett Taylor left at the end of January as your co-CEO after playing a large role in the $27 billion acquisition of Slack. Slack CEO Stuart Butterfield also left in January and Tableau CEO Mark Nelson left in December. Why the exodus? And tell me if it's problematic, because obviously heir apparent is something that's also on the list of things people talk. And you're not the only one. It would be Iger, Disney, lots of people, Schultz at uh, Starbucks. Talk about this. Okay. Well, I think, you know, number one, Brett is amazing. You know that. And I do. Very inspired. I think he's very inspired with the next generation of AI. He's recruited this head of Google Mm -hmm. to start this new company. He's announced the new company. Look, I have to fully support him. You know that. And of course, it's difficult. I don't want him to leave the company, but I also realize he's an entrepreneur, a great one, started many companies. And I have to let him do what he's going to do. 
And um, it's impressive. His vision, his ideas, it's great. A lot of folks in Silicon Valley, and you know this, think that we're about to go into an AI tsunami, and there is a wave of that going on, and he's in that wave. Stewart is a little different. That was, you know, something that we planned for a long time. And, you know, he did very well on the acquisition. And so... Living his best life. Thank you. And yeah. he's a great person. I think he's probably one of the greatest people But what I've about met. your your succession here? You, mm-hmm. You've had a co-CEO before, Keith Block, mm-hmm. his role for 18 months. Um, why not, Brett, was he spending too much time with the Twitter? That sort of jumped up in the middle of nowhere, but... That was definitely, I'm sure, a major component. But I would say that, for me, I believe that every executive should always have a successor in place and ready to go. Mm-hmm. And all I require all of my managers to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm required to do that also by our board. And I have that successor in place. So if something Who happened to me, like, for example, it's not something that I'm currently discussing the name, but I will something happens to me here, you know, with you on stage, yeah. we're ready to go if that's what you're asking. Okay, so you have a succession plan. In place. Of course. You do. Oh, no, we have to have governance. Were you this attempting to do company. it with these? What was this then about these co ceos I never like a co-CEO, but that's just me. Yeah, no, I understand that. And I think Especially the co-CEO- when one is as big a personality as you. Well, you know, I was on the, I, I had a really great conversation last week with Ray Dalio, who's been a mentor of mine, and he was saying, telling me, Mark, the Cosio model is a great model. You need to execute. I'm like, Ray, I just did that twice. I think right now I can't jump completely back to that. I do think it is a great model. I think these are, I've said this before, these, these are big jobs. It's great when you're two in the box. It can really work. It was working, I think, really well with both of these executives. But at the same level, you know, you want to always make sure you have your successor in place. That, I think, is the key thing. And um, that is... Uh, I think a requirement for an executive at, at but my it level. wasn't they didn't leave because you wouldn't go. I mean, there there is no. this there can be only one blank no. Mark Iger Schultz. No, mm-hmm. you no, feel and like, in those cases, those executives did leave. Yeah, then they yeah. came back. Yeah. They yeah. came back because they unfortunately had to. Right. I don't think either one of them really I know them both very well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think well, I didn't leave, com- by the way. No, I know you haven't left yet. Um, <laughs> Are you trying to get rid of me? You know, no. I am the best performing enterprise software executive of all time. Okay. Just all so right. we have a little okay. clarity right. on that. Uh, there is a 5,000% shareholder return since we went public in okay. 2004. I'm going to let you one. Okay, you just wanted to be clear about this that. This is a concern of yours. You have a successor in place. You know what Harvard and Yale says about me, don't you, uh, no. Kara? Okay. okay, no, but well, you have it right, right there, and I wish you wouldn't read it. Um, uh all right, then. I don't have it, but speaking, I should have it, actually. Speaking, if uh, I had your uh, assistant, speak, I'd be ready. You speaking, have like 50 cards. I this am, is crazy. Stop touching oh my, my cards. Fuck I've you. never seen so many cards. You know what? I've had them in my head before. This okay. is not right. Uh, it's right. People should look at your other interviews with me. Zero cards. Uh, let me just Much say, easier. I did have cards. You're this wrong. This is like, no, it's like, no. whoa. It's like, whoa, that's right. You better be yeah, ready with your red shoes, etc. Awesome. All right. Speaking of overwhelming CEOs, you and I have butted heads. I wore these for you. I wore these for you. Okay, thank you. You and I have butted heads over your defense of Elon. I texted you. um, Oh, yeah, you did. I I forgot all about that. That's so funny. You praised him on Twitter an hour and a half. What did I say? Well, let me just say, you praised him on Twitter, and I Mm -hmm. get the visionary part. I think that's what you were going for. Yeah. But it it was almost immediately after he posted an incredibly anti-gay, homophobic tweet about Paul Pelosi. You were angry. 
I was you were angry. super angry. I was because I expected more from you. I was like, really? Right. Well, no, you you were just angry already before before you ever saw no, my tweets. No, I think that was appalling that and you, you were pretty him. pissed off. I was, but you were and not we pissed had, off. had to call you because you, you know were so what? mad. You weren't pissed off enough. How about that? I didn't even know what you were angry about. That's correct. I think you. <laughs> yeah, needed to I be. actually you had to so, educate me. Uh, all right. I was actually responding to something completely different. Yes. And then I got into your reality and I'm like, oh, I am so fucked right now. This yes, is like, yes, I agree. you know, because, right. you know, it was like horrible. Well, it was unlike you. That's the, the well, thing. Well, I just felt I was getting taken apart by you and I didn't even know why. Okay. Well, I'm willing to agree when I'm like, oh my gosh, I did something terrible. Right. I'll fall on my sword. A, we had Boom. an argument, the same thing about Lorraine Powell Jobs, if you remember that. when you. Scored. I don't remember that either, but oh God, let's not go there. Okay. You called her the widow of Steve Jobs. But anyway, oh, that's okay. I, say, I think Sorry. she's a person in her own right. No, she is. Absolutely. She's amazing. And one, what was nice is you actually said that and said, I, you know, I was wrong. I learned it. But talk about this. I I'm know usually you, wrong, by the way. No, I know you were not aware. But how do you remember all these things? Because do you have a I catalog followed, of all the things that I've done wrong? Is I this what all, it's going to be like when I get to heaven? Or is it you're the one who's going to be there and say, yes. now, you know, Mark, <laughs> you know? I've got your card here. And I'm like, oh, let fuck, me just, Let me just say I have all the texts of oh, everybody. I, oh, all right, great. You're yeah. looking at all of our texts? Oh, I have Chat GPT, would you please summarize this conversation? Send no. it to my email now. Here's what's going to I have everybody's oh, okay. texts. okay, thank you. Mark Andreessen should probably be worried. Anyway. Um, wow. Uh, how do you separate him as a visionary? Which Mark Andreessen? No, not Mark Andreessen. Let's, let's not talk about him. He gives me a headache. Um, uh, Elon Musk, how do you separate the visionary part from what's happening, which is clearly problematic, mm -hmm. I would say. I think none of which I think you agree with. You are not anti-gay. You're not you don't do misogynist things. You don't do lame ass, like a lot of this stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. And But in an interview this week, you I'm going to read it all oh correctly. Boy. Every CEO in Silicon Valley has looked at what Elon Musk has done yep. and asked themselves, do they need to unleash their own Elon within? Explain what that means. Is it appealing yeah. to the id? Oh, I can't believe he did this. Mm -hmm. We should do it because some of it is crude. Mm -hmm. Uh uh, and against almost mm -hmm. everything I think you stand for, I was angry on your behalf. Yeah, and I think I'm able, able to separate the wheat from the chaff more than you can. There's a lot of chaff. I know. And I think that that's, you know, I think there is good in everyone, and I see the good in everyone, and maybe I'm too focused on the good in everyone, and maybe you're the opposite. <laughs> I think that I am not always able to see, you know, the dark parts. And um, that's why I like being friends with you, because you help me to— to see all well, sides it's of the hard equation. Not to see the dark parts because within every. <laughs> but I, I mean, think in this case, Scott Adams is great, according to Elon. But let's move on. Let's. Okay, let's... so in this case, I think that um, there are parts of what he is doing where I just I think the tweet you got upset was said, "Don't underestimate Elon," and this is a man who is landing rockets on surfboards in the ocean got it he is got cars going down the highway by themselves he's drilling sort holes of. in the brains of monkeys connecting them to video games you know without joysticks and he thinks he's gonna drill a tunnel on mars and drive a tesla through it and we are gonna wake up with our own consciousness in the car right and I'm going to be a red car and you're going to be a white car and we're going to honk at each other and wave. Hey, Kara, how are you? I'm fine. And it's going to be like the movie Cars. Yeah. But it's going to be like we're how we are now. 
And that's his vision for his life. And I think it's quite extraordinary. Right. But I understand what you're saying because, yes, our core values may be different. But I think that we can look at that his level of, I mean, innovation has been extremely... An- Certainly, but you wouldn't yeah, put up with okay. this kind of shit from Mike Pence, so why do you put up with it here? Um, well, I would just say that I was responding Because he can more... land a rocket? What's that? Because he can land a rocket. I, I would agree of all those things you said. Yeah, I know. Although I think some of them are bullshit promises. Some of them are real. Yeah, and I would say in regards to some of the things that are these kind of you know personal values that you're talking about, you know, I think that we're at a moment in time in history where we have to try to actually understand people. I think it is better to listen, to understand, to try to understand who people are, look at their values, try more to find more common ground. And at the same time, I think you're also right that we have to hold up and stand up for what's right. And I think I've done that. You know that. And uh, so it's a balance. So do you think And I think that you were, but I... Do you think I know I got right into I get that real, I know I got really got you really upset. I mean, I haven't really seen you but it's, that upset. It's easy to say upset. I'm not upset. It's appalling. And it's not, it's beyond that because it doesn't just stop there. It goes everywhere. Do you think his divisiveness has been helpful to this world? It's purposely divisive. It's intentionally divisive. I certainly think that the way I would handle certain things might have been different and have. And um, at the same time, I also have a lot of respect for some of his ability to execute and it. innovate. Yeah. So I think you have to look at that there's two sides of the coin. And I understand the side of the coin that you're looking at. And I think that I was looking at the other side of the coin. And uh, that's where I think that we are coming together. You, you need to look I feel at like both. we're in a living room right now having yes. this conversation. Yes. Okay. All right. Versus you, being in front you, of a thousand about, folks. You looked into buying look, Twitter. I, I, I will just go back here. and just say that tweet said, don't underestimate Elon Musk. We put him on the cover of Time Magazine, Person of the Year. I think if you go back, I think that was the right decision. It sure. was incredible. Um, he is somebody who is going to be a major player. Could he improve in some of these areas? I think we can all improve in a lot of these areas. I think he has amazing power and he's abusing it in a way that is unfortunate, given how talented he is. I completely understand how you how yeah. you feel. Okay. Uh, that was a good answer. But Thank you very much. You said, I, I get how you're feeling, Kara. Um, you How about her hand for her? Because isn't she doing a good job? You, yeah. A couple more questions Thank and we got to go. You looked about buying Oh, no, you, she still got 10 more cards. Uh, no, I'm not so only, so we've got all night. Don't worry about it. I have two more questions. The sign questions. is flashing out of time, I know time, that. By we the have way. two more questions yeah, very okay. quickly. Two more questions. You looked about, just relax. You looked about buying Twitter. <sighs> okay. Are you, are you regretful you didn't buy Twitter? Way back when? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was very interested. Yeah. I had a vision that was very different than, you know, what what's happened, but we don't have enough time to talk about it. But yeah, I think it's one of the great companies, brands, platforms. I think it has huge potential. And I've, I've, and I've, I love it. I've always been in love with it. So you still would be, I feel like it's a video game with nor winners. Okay. All right. That's a good way to put it. Last two questions. Speaking several years ago at top of Salesforce tower, which I hate uh, overlooking the smoke from the wildfires. You said Facebook. You and I were sitting up there and we couldn't see out of the building because the smoke was horrible. But you called Facebook a cigarette company, which one of the first CEOs who did stand up and talked about the problems. What do you think today? And let's broaden it to Twitter and TikTok and the rest of them. I had a bet with Brad that I just lost that you wouldn't (laughs) ask this question. So it's really upsetting that you did because it's going to cost me 
so much money. Okay. And so You're welcome, I said, Brad. there's no way she's going to ask me this again for like, we've been talking about this for like ever. Uh, it's changed. TikTok, there's issues around China. They're passing bans on it, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Brad, et cetera. you are good. Anyway, okay. my head of communications is okay. here is very good. Answer so, the question. Okay. Here's the answer. Business is the greatest platform for change. Let's connect it to what you just talked about. Look, I think that today business leaders do have a responsibility to have a set of decorum, core values, look out for their employees, to act in a way of leadership that was not true maybe 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. And that because of variations in society today, as well as with our political leadership, that CEOs have a requirement, a need, you know, that even in the business roundtable has said there's a purpose to a corporation. Trust. And it's, it's stakeholder capitalism, not just shareholders. Shareholder, Milton mm-hmm. Friedman said that, you know, the business of business is business. It's all about profits, but really it's about stakeholders. Yes, our employees are critical. Our customers are critical. Our partners, our communities in San Francisco, we've given $125 million to our local San Francisco and Oakland public schools, you know that we've given hundreds of millions of dollars to our public hospitals. We've given significant money to our public parks. We've passed laws to increase the amount of taxes that businesses pay to support our homeless crisis in San Francisco, started research programs to support and getting homeless off the streets, which has happened. But I feel that in my heart as a San Franciscan with the CEO of the largest company in San Francisco, that that's a moral obligation. And um, that isn't the traditional approach to business. I think that CEOs have moved more in that direction, not all CEOs, yeah. but a lot of CEOs have moved in that direction. And it is important that we do the right thing. And I've seen more CEOs in the last five years since that Indiana example do the right thing than in the so la- you, you previous So you definitely 20. avoided the question. Do you still think of social media as a cigarette company? I think in those social media companies, you can see that that was a struggle for a long time. I think when we first started having the conversation, they were taking a long trip up the river denial. And I think today, you know, they're a lot more snap back into those things. I think you understand it probably much better than I do. All right, when you, I mean, I'd love to hear what your commentary is. Do you think that they've changed and transformed? I think their business model's collapsing and so, and Congress is, is zeroing in finally. Maybe not effectively, but uh, I think the jig is up, and so they have to find a new thing. I don't think they're doing it out of the kindness of their hearts. What's the one thing you think that those media companies need to do now that they're not doing? I think they should pass antitrust legislation, privacy legislation, and they need to be more transparent about the impact they're having on our society. I think they should get out of the editorial business because they just get sucked up into it and stuff. Mm -hmm. Lots of stuff. And how do you think the and get this, out of the advertising business the mm-hmm. way they are? Anyway, there's lots. What of do you bugs. think is going to happen with the Supreme Court and their decision on two thirty? Mm-hmm. They're not going to. They're going to leave it in place. It was you could listen to them. And do you think that'll be a seminal moment? Leave it in place? No, it's just it was bad case. There'll be other cases. Um, we'll see. It was you could hear okay. the judges. Let me just go to my next question okay, now. Right, no. okay. My very oh, last right, question. Sorry. And then we have very nice though. Well done. Well done. Last question. How do you assess the threat of generative AI to Didn't we business? already have the last question? You're no, like eight minutes over. Question. Oh, stop it. Relax. Will you stop? Wow, you're good. Listen to me. This is the most organized I've ever seen Again, you. It's incredible. Thank you for stressing it. Yeah, but okay. generative AI, last word on that. 
This crowd is well, interested. Well, I think though. we are in a threshold moment for artificial intelligence. And I was kind of joking, but it's true that I think that pretty soon we will say something like, we'll be at home or we'll be on the phone and we will say, hey, hey, chat GPT, I'm just using that as, a, as yeah. an agent. Send me a transcript of this conversation I just had with Kara and summarize it to my email and text now. And it's always listening to what's going on. I think that it's we're not that far away and you know, where there is a device, a commodity device that is on our ceiling or on our floor that's maybe moving around or following us or maybe that we're wearing like the humane device that is like paying attention to what we're doing and trying to augment our experience. And that is a new moment. I think AI is not completely there. We can all see that ChatGPT is exciting, but we all have seen what the boundaries are. Sure. As well, it's also, you know, ChatGPT is the ultimate plagiarizer, right? All of the right. things that it's learning, it got from somebody else, right. you know? So its boundaries are the boundaries of the content that it's trying to grab. That said, you know, we've seen incredible advancements in AI in the last decade, machine learning, deep learning. Um, now we're seeing generative AI. It's going to continue. And um, this is something that's going to require incredible innovation, growth, it's going to transform how all of us work and live. I mentioned my V2 mom that I just have been writing with my employees. I've been using AI to kind of help me to do that. I think it will augment our human experience. And that, I think, is probably the, the most optimistic, positive part of it. There's probably a lot of dark parts of it as well that you've articulated very well in the past. Well, we, we don't need to go there. Go there. But honestly, I think you do just as well with drunk tweeting. I have... Actually, we'll write a tweet, go to ChatGPT and say, rewrite this tweet for me. And it's fascinating to see like how it doesn't edit or whatever. I've, and it's, uh, it's, it's trained me on, on my own writing, make this more inspiring, make this more motivating, turn it into a song, turn it into a poem, turn it into a screenplay. Wow. It's kind of cool. It's fun to see like how this stuff works. You've got a lot of free time on your hands. Anyway. I do. Mark I do. Benioff. Let's keep going. Oh, no, right, no, we got to go. We got a great right, Dwayne thanks, Wade. Kara. Mark Benioff. Great to see you. It is There's two sides of a coin. Yeah. Why did you think of that? I didn't think much of it. And Mark knows that. I've already texted him. <laughs> I've already been texting about it. You know, I think the issue is that's how they do it in Silicon Valley. It's like, you know, he kills puppies, but man, did he do great software. And you're like, I'm back at killed puppies. By the way, I think that's the one thing that if Elon did, people would walk away. I don't know. They'd be like, those rockets land on surfboards. So killing puppies? That's one thing all Americans can't get behind. It's a joke, know, but it's compartmentalizing people as opposed to what they're doing. They, they always admire what they're doing more than the entire picture. And I think it's an entire picture. But Elon Musk, you know, has always been someone who we've had to compartmentalize when he was calling the Thai cave diving rescuer a pedo. Yeah, I guess. You know, his tweets about 420 and the Tesla yeah. stock price, his tweets about COVID, the workers. He's always been someone we had to compartmentalize. He's never been someone who's... It's just, I think I it's an, a thing that Mark admires. They all admire, even Mark, who is, I would say, one of the more and I'm not using the term woke, I think he's really quite, he, he tries to learn, can't help it. They can't help celebrate like he landed a rocket on a thing. Anyway, it was an interesting interview and I like that he he didn't back away from it and he explained it and we had a good debate about it. And so I appreciate that. From a CEO perspective, I see what 
they're saying, because I've heard this from other CEOs too, it's like in this current environment, people do feel constrained. There's this pent up, like, what can I do? How much can I get done in my own business? Which, oh my God, I put all the sweat into building. And now I need to, you know, walk on eggshells around my employees. And I think that's what, you know, they look at Elon and they say, hmm. They still can't do it the way he does. They can say, oh, he did that. I could do that. A lot of them just can't. They're not capable of it. Yeah. And Mark is able to take a lap because of the results. He's obviously vibrant and in charge. Um, and he says he has an uh, heir apparent plan. He never named a name, but... I was going to ask you to speculate. It would be rampant speculation. Can you? No, because it's like below a lot of these CEOs, you don't see an obvious candidate. Like you didn't see Satya coming? Oh, yeah. I actually picked him when... Yes, yeah. I did. There were all kinds of crazy names being thrown about. I thought Satya was the choice because he was so, so well-liked internally. There were big, big names being put out. Um, guy used to run Lockheed and Ford. Like, there were all these big names. And I thought, no, you can't bring someone into Microsoft. Anyway, it'll be an internal candidate. And I don't think he's going anywhere. So that's one Maybe of he's going to give the keys to you, Kara. Yes, that's right. Because yeah. you love that big, fat building. You're going to take a bulldozer yes. to it that day. I called it a giant-ass <laughs> building and a giant penis. That's what I called it. I also love that you asked, that last question made somebody very rich about social media companies being like tobacco companies. Yeah. I wanted him to address that because he really went out on a limb when he did that. And he's, he's slightly backed off. Yeah, he backed off. I think they've gotten better. I mean, you know, he's, he does his whole you know, meditation, Ohana thing all the time, trying to see the best in people. And that's what's his excuse on the Elon stuff. So I do think he's actually like that. Um, and he spends a lot of time. Maybe you need the Wahana meditation to, no, I to don't. I rectify don't. your relationship with Mark Zuckerberg. Well, we can leave no. you to do that now. No, it's Ohana. Ohana. Ohana means layoffs. That's what I was trying to <laughs> family to lay off. Family, family, a really bad dysfunctional family. Look, he's in a bind and he's a very strong CEO. And so whether he was able to keep other CEOs there or whatever, he's able to turn it around if he needs to. And he, that's what he did. We're taping this on Friday, the day after the event. And already Twitter is buzzing yeah. about this interview. And amongst this is Vivek Ramaswamy, Ugh. who says, I heard from friends that Mark Benioff was, you know, it's only all over the fucking internet, like Vivek. On, a, on stage with Kara Swisher. Whisper, whisper, whisper. It was a secret elite event. You couldn't hear. It was ridiculous. I love that in all the newsmaking elements of, you know, if he were doing this post-brief of Vikram Swami, the only thing he would hear was his own name in the last yeah. hour. We're not going to be hearing from Vivek Ramaswamy. Sorry, Vivek. I don't know. It would be interesting to have him on no. the show and, and practice some no. Wahana layoff. No, no Wahana him. for Kara. Never. <laughs> all right. Read us out, Kara. Today's show was produced by Naeem Araza, Blakeney Schick, Kristen Castro-Rossell, and Rafaela Seward. Special thanks to Haley Milliken, and also a giant thank you to the team at the Upfront Summit. It was a great event, even though it was freezing in Los Angeles. Fernando Arruda engineered this episode, and our theme music is by Trackademics. If you're already following the show, you get an all-inclusive yoga retreat at the Trailblazer Ranch. If not, you get a Vivek Ramaswani for president pin. Go wherever you listen to podcasts, search for On with Kara Swisher and hit follow. Thanks for listening to On with Kara Swisher from New York Magazine, the Vox Media Podcast Network, and us. We'll be back on Thursday with more. <laughs>